Radio Mano Papachango. Consider yourself to be your welcome here. I uh, wonder, though, should I be welcoming you or should you be welcoming me? It occurred to me recently because I've been listening to a podcast. Uh, I don't listen to a lot of podcasts. I, I generally um, don't have time. I mean, I guess people make time for things, but I don't commute anywhere and I don't at this point in my life, I don't have um, a lot of spaces where I'm not doing something that requires my verbal brain. You know, if I were a painter or a sculptor or doing a lot of hiking or, you know, bus driving or cleaning offices at night or something um, where my verbal brain wasn't engaged, then I would definitely be listening to podcasts and audiobooks and stuff like that. But generally, when I'm working, uh, I, I'm working in words, so it's just distracting to listen to someone else talk. I can't even listen to music with words. Even music without words has become difficult um, when I'm trying to write or, or focus. But anyway, because of the way I'm living now here in Kash, Turkey, where I am, I go for a walk every day. It's beautiful. And I've been listening to a podcast that some of you have recommended to me uh, called the Blind Boy Podcast. And um, it's just really interesting because I'm having the experience that some of you have written to me about having with me where, you know, you come across uh, me and my work somewhere on some other podcast, Joe Rogan or, or God knows where, and... Uh, you go and listen to something and you like it. Then you go back in the archives and listen to a few more. And then you find my voice sort of becoming present in your head. And so I've gotten lots of emails over the years of people saying, you know, your voice has, has been in my head. I, I, I was listening to you while I was hiking along this, this beautiful, you know, the uh, Appalachian Trail, for example, or the uh, the Lycian Way, or or all sorts of places. What's the one in Spain? The uh, Camino de Santiago, um, you know. Or when my mother was dying, I listened to a lot of your podcast, and and there are these associations that people form between their experience of my voice and what it is that they're going through or experiencing in their immediate lives. And I've always heard that and I've been honored by it. But I don't think I've ever really understood it until the last week or two when I've been listening to this Blind Boy podcast and I've gone back and listened to, I don't know, a half a dozen or more episodes. And his voice is in my head. And he's Irish, so it's easily recognizable when it's his voice because it's got this Irish accent. <laughs> and he's he says, like, he pronounces a film uh, as film with two syllables. So sometimes I'll hear the voice in my head say, oh, that was a, you know, my, a very good film. And I'm like, oh, that's blind boy. That's not my brain. Um which brings me around to what I started with by saying, who welcomes whom in this situation? I've been welcoming you for 500 and some episodes, but it occurs to me that actually it's you who's welcoming me into your head. Um, you're only in my head in a very abstract sort of sense, but I guess I'm in your head in a relatively concrete sense, just like Blind Boy's been in my head recently. So thank you for welcoming me into your mind and your ear holes. I very much appreciate it. I'm going to give you a little taste of the Blind Boy podcast um, because I was tempted to, to rip off his idea <laughs> when I was listening to this episode. Um, 
the episode he recorded with Sinead O'Connor. If you want to go back and check it out, let me see, let me pull it up here. It's uh, from May 2021. Um, I don't see the episode. Looks like on Spotify it doesn't have the episode number, but it's May 2021. It's with Sinead O'Connor. Um, he he talks. He's talking about how people give him a hard time because he wears a plastic bag over his head because he likes to remain somewhat anonymous. Uh, he's a musician. He was in a band called the Rubber Bandits. Um, he's also a, a writer. I just downloaded a collection of his short stories to my Kindle. I haven't started reading it yet. Um, but he's a very clever, thoughtful, interesting guy. Um, anyway, he is uh, talking about how people get upset with him because he talks about mental health on his podcast and uh, some of the techniques that he uses to try to keep his shit together and keep his energy somewhat positive, even though he uh, is deeply aware of a lot of the, the difficulties the world is facing right now and seems to be more and more all the time. Um, and he's, he's talking about how people give him a hard time because he's talking about these serious issues and he's got a bag over his head and he makes the distinction between seriousness and solemnity. And I thought he made it so beautifully. And, and I was thinking I, I would recapitulate some of that in my chats with you. And then I thought, well, what the fuck, why don't I just let him say it to you? So I, uh, I got a little extract here, which I will play. This is Blind Boy talking about the difference between solemnity and seriousness. This this makes people, this makes some people very, very angry towards me that I speak about serious issues while at the same time looking like a fucking clown. And people demand, take the bag off your head. Take that bag off your head if you're going to be talking about something serious. Be serious. And what I'll say is, these people... They only think they want me to be serious. They're not asking me to be serious. What they're asking me to be is solemn. And to be solemn is to engage in the surface level performance of seriousness. And solemnity and seriousness are not the same thing. I can be really passionate and critical and caring about something as important as mental health while having a big silly bag on my head. If I took the bag off and wore a suit, I'd be having the exact same conversations. I'd just be doing it in a more solemn fashion. You look at the most solemn things in society, the military, the judicial system, religion, royalty. These are all institutions that use solemnity as a performance of seriousness to sell us something fundamentally absurd. And I'm capable of being serious about something and having authentic caring conversations around mental health without needing to be solemn. I can do all this while having a big silly bag on my head. And the thing is with solemnity, solemnity never allows fun, silliness, spontaneity, play or humor in because those things are the opposite of solemnity. And I would argue that for us to have authentic, meaningful conversations about something as complex as mental health you have to include the full gamut of human experience and humor fun playfulness and spontaneity are a part of that uh, as i mentioned i'm in kash turkey um on the turquoise coast it's lovely it's cold it's strange um there are there's construction going on and maybe you can hear it i hope not but there's drilling it's it, they're at the stage where they're drilling the bedrock and hammering it with these giant machines and they start early in the morning and they run till evening and there's no escaping it there's no part of town where you don't hear it and i keep going out in the morning thinking oh maybe they're done take my little microphone with me and i'm gonna go record in a park or on a picnic table in the sun or down by the water. And every time I turn on the microphone, the hammering begins. And uh, it's been too long since I've recorded an episode. So I'm just trying to push through. I'm in a 
room with all the windows and doors closed. I hope it's not annoying to you. Um, this episode, by the way, before I get too, too much further into it, is brought to you by the beautiful people at OMGS. Go to omgs.com forward slash Chris Ryan and get 10% off your lifetime membership, your lifetime access to the treasure trove of information that they have made available after interviewing tens of thousands of women about what turns them on, uh, what works physically, mentally, emotionally, psychologically, and uh, what brings pleasure into their lives. And as we all know, pleasure is not only fun and, you know, by definition feels good, I guess, um, but it's also extremely healthy. And I think this is something that is severely underrepresented in the Western notion of health. Um, and if I do write another book, uh, you've probably heard me mention a few times one of the book ideas that, that I've been batting around in my head for the last few years would be a book that's sort of a parody of a self-help book, but is also, if you read between the lines, it is a book recommending certain ways to increase not just your physical health, but your overall health. I, I think the whole sort of distinction between physical and mental and emotional and psychological is very artificial and it, it helps us to delineate things and to think about certain concepts. But as far as the body's concerned, those things are all the same. If you're stressed out, that shows up in your immune response. It shows up in your sleep patterns. It shows up in your uh, hormonal system. You know, it shows up in, in the way your heart, uh, the electro uh, chemistry of your heart. Uh, it's all over. Everything's integrated. And so the idea that, you know, you can treat someone's mental health without treating their body or that you can treat their body without incorporating an understanding of what's going on in their lives is pernicious and and I think deeply corrosive it's like you know forest management where you say well I don't care about the the soil or the fungi or the undergrowth I'm just interested in the trees that grow above 20 feet that I'm just that I want to make sure they're healthy but I'm not going to look at the soil I'm not going to look at the water I'm not going to look at um, you know where the wind's coming from. I'm not going to look at the insects. I'm just looking at this one particular thing. Well, of course, that's not going to work, and it doesn't work with our health either. So pleasure is integral to health. It's integral to a good life, and uh, I think a good life is much more important than a long life. But I do think that if you have a good life, you're more likely to have a long life. You know, what party goes the longest into the night? A good party or a bad party? A party where people are having a good time or a people or a party where people are miserable? You know the answer to that question. And I think lives are the same. I think about these, these things you hear sometimes about how, uh, of course, in the Western press, it's always presented as a problem, right? So the, the STD rates among seniors in... Uh, in uh, senior homes are are shocking and like all these old people are fucking and the reason that the std issues are a problem is that there's one guy for every 10 women right so if the guy gets something he's probably going to be passing it around and uh you know i don't think people in their 70s and 80s are worried about condoms or getting pregnant certainly so the reason I mention it is, you know, it's a chicken and egg situation. Like, are those men who happen to survive into their 80s and possibly 90s, are they just taking advantage of the fact that there's a 10 to 1 female to male ratio in those facilities? Or are the guys who survive into that age just the horny guys who have a high libido and then there's another chicken egg do they have that high libido because they're inherently healthy or are they healthy because they have a healthy relationship with their libido all interesting questions uh 
personally, I think that libido is the life force. And so anything that unleashes and channels and nourishes the life force within us, of course, not in a way that victimizes anyone else or causes problems for other people, but anything that keeps that fire burning is something that's going to contribute to long-term health and probably longevity. So all a long way of saying pleasure is good. And one of the weirdest, most fucked up things about American society and American approach to health is the deep suspicion and demonization of pleasure. Um, I mean, go right back to the origins of the devil, right? Who is the devil? Look into that and you'll see there's, it's a lot wrapped up in pleasure and sexuality and animality and all these things that are considered to be um, enemies of the good life in America and other Puritan kind of societies. OMGS.com forward slash Chris Ryan. Check it out. 10% off. It's always a struggle um, when I'm recording this podcast and I want to share personal experiences with you. I want to talk with you about what I'm thinking about and why I'm thinking about it. But on the other hand, I'm aware of a certain sense of discretion, both around my own life and the lives of others that intersect with mine. And, and so uh, I try to walk the line between undersharing and oversharing. And I, it's, of course, tempting to want to overshare, um, both because that's just my nature and because I guess there's a, you know, I have a certain power here. I have a platform uh, podcast that's been downloaded tens of millions of times and and it's tempting to treat you like my friends and tell you my story and then ignore the fact that the other people involved don't get a chance to tell their side of the story um and then I'm tempted to undershare because you know you want to just sort of uh keep your private stuff private and so I'm dealing with that again because I've had a a really difficult experience recently and I worry that it may have come across energetically to you and and this relates back to what I was saying earlier about you welcoming me into your head and so when I'm pissed off or annoyed or hurt or in some sort of negative energy space even if I don't talk about the thing that caused that I worry that I'm bringing that energy to you and that's not fair because you don't know what the hell's going on. You don't know why I'm, I'm all annoyed and, um, and it's not a good energy to spread. So it's, I don't really have an answer and I, I'm just trying to be honest about the conundrum and let you know, because sometimes I get emails from people saying, Hey, are you okay? You seem like you're, really kind of on edge recently or you're letting this thing get to you or you know you you talked about how you know some email pissed you off or hurt your feelings or you know you're you're getting more sort of worked up about the environmental thing or whatever it is and I really when I get those emails there it's really it's touching it's strange it's you know, because you never like hearing people say, hey, what the hell's wrong with you? I mean, that's kind of a an off-putting thing to hear. But on the other hand, it's interesting to hear from strangers saying, hey, are you okay? You you know, because the, the premise there is that they know you well enough to notice when there's a difference. They notice when you're not as happy as you normally are or your perspective seems to be a little more uh, acidic, perhaps, you know. Um And so I'm aware of the fact that, yeah, maybe I'm spreading some of this energy um, inadvertently. And that's another reason sometimes I take a a break from the podcast because I just want to sort of get myself back to an equilibrium, a place of equilibrium so that I'm not venting at you. 
But anyway, I had this relationship recently with a friend um, who I thought I knew a lot better than it turned out that I did. And um, it made me reconsider a lot of things. Um, and it actually reminded me of something that happened that I haven't thought about for a long, long time. It must have happened when I was about 10 years old. Because I got a dog for my 10th, no, my 8th birthday. So maybe I was under 10. But for my 8th birthday, my parents got me a dog, a little Lhasa Apso, the lion dog of Tibet. I wanted to name her Tiger uh, because there was a TV show with a dog named Tiger. And that's pretty much the extent of my creativity at that age. And uh, my mother suggested tiger lily because that's a flower <laughs> my mother doesn't like animals but she wanted uh she wanted tiger lily anyway tiger lily was this crazy little long-haired hippie dog and i remember as a kid one day i gave her a bone with some meat on it and man she was she was funny. She's one of these little dogs that like old ladies get and put ribbons in their hair and all that. If you Google Lhasa Apso, you'll see, you know, these weird looking little hairy dogs. Um, but this dog, because she was not owned by old ladies, she was owned by a couple little kids. She was wild. She had so much energy. She was just a fucking force in nature. She lived into her twenties. I mean, she was like both her back legs had stopped working and, you know, she was just dripping shit and dragging herself around on her front legs. She was a mess. My sister had her at that point, but she just wouldn't die. She was just so full of vitality. She was crazy. Um, but anyway, I, I remember this experience. I gave her a bone and she, oh my God, she was so into this bone. And then my mother said, oh, you know, I guess she took the bone into the living room where the carpet was. And she was like, oh no, take the bone into the you know other room because it's getting, you know, stuff all over the carpet and put it, you know, in the room where there's a tile floor. So I go over to the dog and I reach down to get the the bone from her and she just goes like, rawr, 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 and, and like almost attacked me, right? Like get the fuck away from my bone. And I felt so betrayed by her. Like, wait a minute, dog. I'm the one who gave you this bone. I love you. You love me or so I thought. We have this relationship and you just fucking threw that all away because you wanted this bone like you're so basic bitch and it really hurt my feelings and made me angry and that's why I still remember it all these years later but the lesson I think that I take from that is that People are what they are. They're not what you wish they were. And if you're a generous person, you are going to assume the best. You're going to, and the best, by the way, is not even uh, an objective measure, right? The best is what you want that person to be, which may not be the best thing for them. Right. Um, but if you're a generous person by nature, then you are going to assume the best of your friends and your acquaintances. Like I assumed the best of that dog. If you had said to me, like, would you know, what if you, the dog had a bone and you wanted to take it away? What would she do? I'd say, well, she'd let me take it away because she trusts me and loves me and knows I want the best for her. Well, she's a dog right? She's not my girlfriend. Um, and a dog is going to act like a dog ultimately and cats even more. So the be beautiful thing about a cat is the cat won't even let you think that they're anything other than a cat. They'll remind you hourly like, yeah, okay. You know, you can make suggestions, but I'll do what the fuck I want. That's a cat. Um, but the dog surprised me and shocked me. And the lesson is that people, animals, things are what they are. Others are what they are. 
and this experience that I had recently that sort of left me knocked off center was that kind of thing where someone I expected a certain kind of understanding and depth and um, nuance from someone and they just weren't capable of it it turns out it's just not the way they think it's not the way they experience life and I hadn't seen that uh, until recently and it was uh, shocking and another thing that it reminded me of was when I was in high school and I decided to do lifeguard training in this lake in Connecticut. And um, the first open water lesson, they explained to us that when you swim out to save someone, that person who is in the process of drowning and facing their own extinction will do anything to save themselves, including especially grabbing you by the hair and crawling up on top of you as if you were a flotation device and drowning you. So you're swimming out there to save someone and your number one concern needs to be to not let them drown you. So sometimes a lifeguard will swim out to someone and get, and they see that they're panicked and they'll punch them right in the face to shock them so that they can get control of them. And the technique I remember is you swim out and when you're just out of arm's reach, you dive under, you grab them by the ankles, you twist them around and you like kind of work your way up their body so that you maintain control of their body and they're facing away from you the whole time until you get them in the cross chest carry and then you drag them in. But you can't let them face you because they'll kill you. It's a strange lesson that to save someone, you might need to hurt them. And you can't trust them when people are afraid or when a dog has a bone, it's hard to trust them. And it's actually dangerous to trust them. So here's something I've been thinking about recently. <clears throat> and I'm not sure, this is one of those things that it may be a really interesting idea or it may be totally obvious and common I have trouble telling one from the other, especially when they're in my own head. But even when I'm reading them, sometimes, you know, you read, especially like, a, you know, Buddhist or, a, you know, any sort of spiritual teaching. It's like, it's the same shit over and over again. You know, it's the same stuff. You know, Alan Watts says it and Gandhi said it and the Dalai Lama says it. it's always the same stuff. And, you know, not to take anything away from any of them, but... Um, there's a, a line attributed to Marie Antoinette's dressmaker. God knows why, but she said, there's nothing new except what has been forgotten. Interesting idea, right? It's just learning the same things over and over and over again. And I think as we get older, it gets frustrating because you see young people and they're like, I, you know, you want to say, I could save you a lot of time, you know, I could just tell you how that's going to work out. And they're like, no, I need to make the mistake myself. And like, oh, we all need to do it again and again and again. Anyway, circles. That's what I've been thinking about is circles and, and how many of the things that I used to think about in a linear way, things that I used to think about as existing on a spectrum, um, you know, love, hate, uh, heterosexuality, homosexuality, uh, male, female, um, violence, peace, you know, that th these things that seem to be extremes on either end of a horizontal line, I'm coming to see them more as points on a circle. 
there's a book that Stanley Krippner introduced me to years ago called The Circle of Sex. And it it's like a clock of sexual identities. And I remember, it's been a while since I, I read it, but I remember that at one extreme is um, like the most heterogenic, uh, like the most um, hyper heterogenic is the term that the, the author uses, um, the Don Juan type. So like the, mo- like the womanizer, the, the dude who's just like, you know, uh, chasing pussy all the time. And right next to him is the extreme dyke type super lesbian. So you might say like those are opposites, but on this scale, they're right next to each other because they both have this sort of extreme libidinous energy. And one is, and they're both chasing women, by the way, right? So there's a, uh, sort of a continuity in that respect. Um, anyway, I mean, it's an interesting thing. You can, you can look it up. It was written in the twenties, I think. So it's, it's very dated and, you know, obviously not up to modern standards in terms of gender and identity and all that. But it's interesting to think about these things in nonlinear fashion. Um, I was thinking about this recently with uh, the NFL. I was watching NFL, uh, you know, the Super Bowl and the, the playoffs and all that. And it, it struck me how, you know, this is like the most masculine, certainly one of the most masculine macho bastions of American culture, right? Like, I remember talking with uh, Tony Gonzalez when he was on the podcast. We talked a fair bit about like how could a gay guy, you know, how how does the NFL deal with homosexuality? What would that be like in the showers, you know, and all that. And he and his take on it was like it would be very very difficult for an openly gay player to be in the NFL because it's such a sort of a homophobic environment. And and one of the examples he gave was the showers that the team, these are millionaires. These are very, very high paid players who are generating billions of dollars for the NFL. After the game, they go in and they take a shower together. It's a big open shower room. They don't have individual showers. I was amazed by that. And he was like, no, it's just the way it is. You know, everybody showers together and everyone's walking around naked. And it's like, obviously it's not a question of, not having enough money to install individual showers for 50 guys or whatever it is on a team. So what is it? And I was watching the, the, I think it was the Super Bowl, and there's this thing called mic'd up where they, they, uh, have microphones. I don't know if they're in the guy's helmets or, or if they're just like those guys on the sidelines with the uh, remote mics that are sort of listening in, but you hear, the things that people are the players are saying to each other on the sidelines sometimes out on the field after the game and all that and man there's all this like i love you you know i'll never forget you you see them grab each other they're hugging they're slapping each other on the ass they grab each other by the the head and pull their heads together their faces together it's almost as if the helmets are there to stop them from kissing each other it's almost as if the helmets are like a a protection against some sort of homoerotic expression of their love for each other. And I'm not saying this to give them a hard time or, or to criticize them at all. I, I envy them. I envy this free expression of love between men. Because outside of that hyper- heteronormative environment you don't see that kind of thing where do you see men you know grabbing each other and being physical with each other and touching each other and and slapping each other's asses and you know embracing each other even if it's in a violent sort of you know sacking the quarterback way where do you see that level of physical intermingling between men other than on a football field or a gay bar i guess 
or a bathhouse or something. And so this extreme heteronormative, macho, homophobic environment is right next to a gay bar, is right next to what seems like the opposite. But it isn't really the opposite. It's the same thing with just a slight adjustment. In politics, there's a theory called the horseshoe theory, which is kind of similar to this, which posits that extreme right wing and extreme left wing are actually very close to each other. But I don't see it as a horseshoe. I see it as a, as a circle, as a clock, right? What's the last deepest moment of night? Well, according to the clock, it's 11.59 p.m., right? That's the extreme of, of that part of the clock. And then the very earliest extreme of the next part of the clock is two minutes later, 12.01. The deepest part of the night, if we get away from the clock and just think about it in more organic sense, the deepest part of the night is what, three, four like that's when there's no noise, all the dogs are asleep, everybody's asleep, nothing's happening. And what's the earliest, earliest part? Well, it's just a few minutes after that. It's not at the other end of the day. It's the extremes are right next to each other. Freedom is free of the need to be free. That's a line in a Funkadelic song. What does that mean? Freedom is free of the need to be free. Well, does that mean that true freedom resides in absolute lack of freedom? This is something that Kundera gets into in The Unbearable Lightness of Being. In fact, that's the whole point of the book. That, by the way, I know I've recommended that book many times, but it's even more poignant right now because what's happening in the Ukraine at the moment is in some ways similar to what happened in Czechoslovakia in 1968, which is when that book is set. It's a book about freedom. It's a book about trying to move away from being dominated by the Russians and the Russian view of how society should function. And the Russians saying, no, no, you belong to us, you're with us. And the Czechs saying, but we don't want to be with you. And um, yeah, it's it's heavy. And uh, if you're unfamiliar with that history, it's an interesting book to read from that perspective. But what is that? What is being free of the need to be free? So Kundera talks about living under Soviet rule as being in some ways, very liberating because you don't need to worry about things. You don't need to worry about how you're going to pay your rent or pay for health care or get a job. All that stuff is taken care of. Now, in exchange, of course, you have no freedom to speak your mind, to do what you want, to go where you want. So you lose some freedoms in exchange for other freedoms. And lastly, most poignantly, perhaps, again, going to Ukraine and what's happening there, is how close horror is to wonder. How close suffering is to insight. I've talked many times about a book called Paradise Built in Hell by... Rebecca Solnit, uh, I quoted quite extensively from it in Civilized to Death and her interviews with disaster sociologists who conclude unanimously that people who survive great tragedies often look back on them as the best times of their lives. And that's happening right now in Ukraine. And, and I certainly don't mean to minimize the suffering. In fact, 
the suffering is exactly what I'm talking about. In proximity to great suffering is great meaning and the opportunity to connect with other people and with ourselves in ways that normal anesthetized life doesn't really allow. And so what's happening right now in Ukraine is people are dying, buildings are being bombed, Russian soldiers are being blown up in their tanks. Horrible things are happening. And wonderful things are happening. People are saving lives. People who a month ago were just living normal existence are saving their neighbors' lives. People in Poland are opening their homes to strangers. People are finding meaning in ways that they weren't a few weeks ago. And again, I'm not saying this is a good thing. I'm not saying that it's a net gain. I'm not saying that any, I'm not minimizing anyone's suffering. All I'm saying is that in the presence of suffering is incredible meaning and incredible opportunity. And that to see suffering as being at one end of a spectrum and meaning and pleasure and hope being at the other end of a spectrum makes it seem that they're so distant from one another when in fact they're right next to each other. All right, y'all. That's enough for me today. I'll be back with you soon. I'm going to do some um, episodes of what makes this book great. I'm going to do one with some excerpts from Carl Jung's autobiography called Memories, Dreams, and Reflections. There are a few passages in there that uh, I think you'd enjoy hearing about, and I'd certainly enjoy talking about. And I'm also going to do one with um, a little bit of Walt Whitman's Song of Myself, which is an epic poem uh, written by the great American mystical poet Walt Whitman. So... That's coming soon, and if I can find a quiet place in this town to record in, I will uh, do it with more frequency and in a more relaxed mental state. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, Please go check out omgyes.com forward slash Chris Ryan to get 10% off. Look around the website. uh, Learn. It's, It's amazing. None of us knows everything. None of us knows enough about anything. Um, But certainly women's pleasure is a realm in which we can always, all of us can always learn more. And uh, why not, right? It's all, all for the best. All right. I hope there's a lot of pleasure in your life. Thank you again for inviting me to that party between your ears and your inner mind. It's a pleasure and an honor to be here. I'm going to play you out with one of the all-time great Funkadelic songs. Fits into so much of what I'm talking about here. Pleasure. uh, Freedom. Freedom is free of the need to be free. That's the song that that line comes from. It's called Free Your Mind and Your Ass Will Follow. Because don't you know it, the kingdom of heaven is within. Free your mind, all. Talk to you soon.
felt the need to be free. Free your, your mind and your ass will follow. The kingdom of heaven is within. Free your mind and your ass will follow. The kingdom of heaven is within. Free your mind, your ass will follow. The kingdom of heaven is within. Free your mind. Your ass will follow. The kingdom of heaven is within. Like this.
I can't hear me. I can't hear me. I can't hear me.